0: All right, Elbanio Cody. El Dunny Dan, como estas amigo? Nada, you too? Ah, bien, bien, it's good to be in the dun-dun. It is, good to be in the dun-dun. Yeah, we're coming fresh off the heels of Toxic Mask. We are, and we've got a big agenda ahead of us, right? We do, man, we got a whole series. (laughs) We kind of dipped our toes into a two-episode series, (laughs) see what it was like. So we thought we'd times that by almost five. Yeah. Yeah. Did,
1: did we line it out to be, is it nine, nine parts to the series or 10?
0: Yeah. You know, I don't know that we've totally hammered that down yet. We'll <laughs> say TBD. more than five, less than 15. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it could be more than 15.
0: Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll go greater.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so what is it?
0: Mindfulness.
1: Ah, uh, well, that makes sense. Cause that is a popular term and a lot of depth.
0: Ah, no doubt. A lot going on there, and something that's really become kind of culturally relevant and gotten a lot of attention. I would say, huh? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: So um, I guess yeah, you're going to kick us off with the introduction to mindfulness, and then we're going to have an ongoing series that has different parts and aspects of mindfulness. We'll introduce.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll cover the nine attitudes in detail. So we're going to devote an episode to each of those attitudes, and we'll probably throw in some other stuff on meditation. Maybe if I could get you to loosen up a little bit, maybe uh, neuroscience. What do you think? Neuroscience and mindfulness. <laughs> All right. I'm going to want you to address the neuroscience so I can just sit here and listen, absorb. I'm going to have to figure out a way to how to delegate that one to you. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that'd be a good one though. Ah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so for today's episode, we're going to look at getting into mindfulness, just kind of getting an introduction. We're going to cover four different definitions of mindfulness. We'll turn to some of the homies and then we'll talk about the history of mindfulness a little bit, how it made it from East to West. And then um, we'll cover three components of mindfulness and then the nine attitudes. All right. So as always, how well, about the old, uh, introduce the homies, the homies, who should we start with today? We got four. Yeah. I actually noticed you used
1: plural homies instead of homie. Yeah. So, so you, you went to
0: multiple homies. I did, man. I got four. I got our tried and true. We got Webster. We got urban dictionary. <laughs> the
1: classic Webster. The classic.
0: Yeah. the the true homie
1: urban, mm-hmm. urban dictionary.
0: Oh yeah. I think everyone will appreciate this definition. Well, let's uh let's finish with the urban <coughs> dictionary. So, I like that. why don't you lead us off? So, we got Webster's and who else? Yeah, we got John Kabat-Zinn and Teeknot Hans. So, mm-hmm. I'll just start with John Kabat-Zinn. Okay. He and we'll talk more about John Kabat-Zinn, his contribution to mindfulness and sort of being a prominent figure or a person in bringing mindfulness to the west. At any rate, he I, or he defines mindfulness as awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose, in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And sometimes he'll add in there, in the service of self-understanding and wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very pretty straightforward, intentionally paying attention to the present moment, doing so without judgment. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Let's turn to Webster. The, the classic. The classic. That's uh, Cody's army. And so <laughs> what we got here, Webster, so gracefully defines mindfulness as... <laughs> The practice of maintaining a nonjudgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experiences on a moment-to-moment basis. And then lastly, I'd want to also throw in there Thich Nhat Hanh, who's sort of referred to as the father of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And we'll cover him briefly. Um, He just identifies mindfulness as being the practice of being fully present and alive and says body and mind united. Yeah.
1: So with the with the three so far, there's like these consistent themes. It's like being present, being intentionally aware, um, being accepting of that circumstance that you're in. So non-judgmentally
0: evaluating the present moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm really glad you pointed out the similarities, and they all sort of revert back to the awareness mm-hmm. and doing so intentionally, paying attention to what's going on now. Okay. Now the true homie. Oh, dare I read this? Mindfulness, according to the Urban Dictionary, <laughs> is. Well, uh,
1: glancing down at the note here, we may have to. Uh, are we gonna beat
0: this or? Someone's gonna have to. All it says is paying attention to the downright fucking obvious. <laughs> this usually manifests as paying for a therapist to tell you that if you fart, you might need to shit soon. <laughs> 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 Can only be counteracted by a whack over the head with a plank and a tattoo reading. <laughs> Get a fucking grip. And then, the, of course, the sentence they use is, I've been practicing mindfulness. It's been very helpful. I haven't been arrested since I started getting dressed before going to drop the children at school. <laughs>
1: Ooh, pretty straightforward. What's going on with your
0: homie? <laughs> your homie's getting mambunctious.
1: Yeah, see, this is this is why the Urban Dictionary is my homie. Yeah. Uh, they take out all pretense. So, you know, Webster, Thich it's it's just these classical diplomatic statements urban dictionary just tell you how it is
0: and do they not (laughs) like (laughs) i can't argue against you at all no no (laughs) yeah oh gosh so there we go there's some definitions no doubt you can really see the urban dictionary cleaned up those definitions they're just really (laughs) summed it all up into one (laughs) (laughs) one beautiful statement one beautiful succinct statement That really everybody can get on board with and understand. Um, So, again, just kind of covering the definition of mindfulness, this thing that we'll incorporate is just intentionally paying attention to the present moment, doing so without judgment. And so a lot of people, I don't know if you encounter this in therapy, Dan, but they'll do like, well, or people will say something like, how do you do mindfulness? Yeah. Like, how do you do this? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing.
1: One thing I would add, too, is my common experience is that people can often conflate meditation with mindfulness. And so meditation may may be a branch or a subset, a subsidiary of mindfulness, but they can often be conflated um, colloquially.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And one is simply the practice of the other yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when we when we talk about how to do mindfulness, there are three components in nine attitudes, which we'll cover later. But Th- Thich Nhat Hanh simply says that the practice of mindfulness that requires only that whatever you do, you do it with your whole being. So, again, simply that you're fully present in whatever it is that you do. Mm-hmm he's kind of famous or maybe um, famously coined as saying that you can find happiness in peeling an orange, Mm -hmm. that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. He tells this uh, anecdote of being a a student and with his master, he was, uh, his master asked him to go fetch something. Oh, nice. Right. And so he gets up and sprints out the door and he talks about being eager to please his master. As soon as he gets to the door, his master calls him back and says, Nope, get back here. Um, Next time, This time you go out mindfully and close the door behind you mindfully and so it's that same idea that even just like it's so easy to become unaware of what you're doing at any present moment so in
1: that example he's saying essentially when he was a student he was focused on the goal that he'd just been provided with but that existed in the future and so he left the present moment which
0: would have involved opening or closing the door exactly yeah, and so his his teacher, his master, called him, a master's a terrible word, teacher, called him out and said, uh, do so, but do so mindfully. Mm-hmm. This time, open and shut the door mindfully. Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be useful for us to um, cover the history of mindfulness.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So in the next five, <laughs> ten
0: minutes, we're going to go through a few thousands of years of history yeah it just really thin topics like hinduism buddhism (laughs) (laughs) and meditation
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah Yeah. well let's do it then
0: (laughs) so not sure that we're going to be able to cover all uh hinduism and buddhism here in a couple minutes and this is not intended to be a thorough account of a history by any means just kind of wanted to point out a couple things as to where mindfulness came from and again how it made it from east to west So mindfulness is a practice that was involved in a variety of religions and secular traditions. And again, Hinduism to Buddhism to yoga and even non-religious secularism. It's something that's been practiced for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And in the East, it was popularized by religious and spiritual institutions. But then, when it made its way west, it can be traced to particular people and then more secular institutions. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think here in my
1: understanding too of the evolution of it is it's important to understand that in Western culture we we have that individualistic tendency to categorize things and break things into compartments. And so, like even in the secular traditions of the East or what we would call religious, is more like a an esoteric philosophy that it was involved with, not, not some specific regimented um, pattern of prayer or some category
0: of religion. Correct, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. Here. And so, yeah, even even as it made its way from east to west, you can see sort of like, again, it was sort of associated with these different religions, but it wasn't necessarily dogmatic in that mm-hmm. way. It's more ph- philosophical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, again made its way from the east and over here associated with secular traditions Um, and although a lot of it is associated with buddhism and hindu traditions it also has some roots in judaism islam and christianity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the majority of mindfulness comes from sort of like a hindu buddhist um, background yeah yeah so uh-huh. you're
1: going to dip us into
0: Hinduism now? Hinduism. Okay. Short <laughs> history on Hinduism. <laughs> Here we go. Again, this is not intended to provide an exhaustive history of Hinduism. Just kind of want to highlight where mindfulness came from. Jump, jump on board. Let's do it. Golly. So Hinduism's roots are actually pretty difficult to trace. And like you mentioned, it's thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were, what Hinduism was, in a sense, was a synthesis of a lot of different types of traditions around the region that now make up India. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like these different philosophies and different thoughts came together. And then that was referred to as Hinduism, which didn't even really get its name Hinduism until the 1800s. Mm. Oh, wow. From a yeah. group of British writers. They would refer to the Vedic traditions as Hinduism. Oh, wow, yeah. Wow. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. fun fact. Um, and so the most ancient traditions in Hinduism arose roughly 4,000 years ago um, in the area that is now referred to as Pakistan. And then 25 to 3500 years ago, traditions developed into Vedic writings, which uh, included or introduced rituals and worship of gods common to modern day Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And then another thousand years later, um, more texts were composed. And then this included concepts of Dharma and temple worship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Dharma was something that really made its way into Buddhism as well. Mm -hmm. And so what does this have to do with mindfulness? So, there's a 700 verse scripture that's referred to as the Gita. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. which includes discussions of yogic uh, traditions and Vedic meditation,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: which kind of then led us into where Buddhism jumped off from. Mm-hmm. Is that the shortest history of Hinduism ever? Or what? <laughs> yeah.
1: well, it makes it easy when you're covering like swaths of thousands, a thousand <laughs> yeah. years from, here, thousands thousand years
0: the, there. Yeah. In one or two senses, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, no doubt.
1: So now, now that we've um, established the foundation of hin- Hinduism, yes, let's jump in and uh, cover thousands of years of Buddhism.
0: <laughs> Do it again. Uh, short history on Buddhism. So Buddhism arose around 400 to 500 BC um, by Siddhartha Gautama, also known as Buddha. Um, who was raised in modern day India, like kind of the India Nepal area Mm -hmm. and was actually brought up with a Hindu background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, Dharma was a, was a, was often referred to in Hindu and that was something that made its way into Buddhism. And my understanding of Dharma is that there's really no good way to that it translates into English, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of like the natural order of the universe. Mm-hmm. maybe the best way I could describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, again, kind of dealing with harmony between the natural order of the universe, people, natural world everything going on around us and those things all existing in harmony with one another.
1: Yeah. And both of these traditions, I think what's really important in, um, the theology and philosophies is that there's a a real collectivism. So right there in what you're naming the natural order of the universe, it's really both of them have these traditions where everything is intertwined and connected and you can be in the rhythm of that, or you can be ignorant to the rhythm of that. And, Mm. Mindfulness is a practice, as I understand it, through these traditions intended to help you get into the rhythm of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, for Buddhism specifically, the very first, which is very geared toward enlightenment, mm-hmm. hear people talk about achieving enlightenment as sort of the goal. And the very first step of that is this word referred to as sati, or which is translated into English as mindfulness. Mm. And so, that's where we get this whole thing from the first step to enlightenment is this sati or mm-hmm. mindfulness mm-hmm. and so yeah again mindfulness was a crucial step in buddhism and then western influence begins st- began studying under eastern philosophers and buddhist teachers and then that's uh, in a lot of ways how it made its way out west those people went over to the east learned these traditions learned the philosophies and then brought them back west
1: boom there we go blammo <laughs> hinduism Bu- buddhism just don't say you don't know.
0: Don't say you don't know. The thinnest history ever. That's why we call this <laughs> quick and nerdy, for sure. <laughs> nah, that's good. That, I mean,
1: I think that's really helpful to have the understanding of the foundation of where this concept came from. And then we refer to it now as mindfulness, and it has so much... Mm-hmm connotation in our society here but it's imbued in this deep deep history so it's good to know these origins yeah
0: it, exactly like it goes back thousands of years like yeah. you're saying yeah. yeah so speaking of the west so we covered those two yeah philosophies religions and their background and just a few sentences just a few <laughs> minutes real comprehensive and then so uh, mindfulness made its way west And primarily the person who's associated with that movement is Jon Kabat-Zinn. So the person whose definition of mindfulness we used earlier. Uh, He studied under several Buddhist teachers, including Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, he wrote some of his famous works, include the books Wherever You Go, There You Are. Another one is Full Catastrophe Living. And another one is Coming to Our Senses. Yeah, really a prolific... Writer yeah. and thinker. Oh, I love listening to him. Love mm-hmm. reading his stuff. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. Um, he's pretty famous or most well-known for founding the Center for Mindfulness at University of Massachusetts Medical School. And he also founded and started the Oasis Institute for Mindfulness-Based Professional Education and Training. And so this is in the late 70s, 1970s. And he, um, during, at Oasis, had developed an eight-week program that is now referred to as mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm-hmm. It's now a manualized treatment. It incorporates mindfulness. And something that he's really well-known for is taking those concepts, bringing them west, and then sort of integrating it into our medical model or into mm-hmm. the scientific model. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, there have been a lot of other types of therapeutic modalities have s- stemmed from this. Mm-hmm. One of those is mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm going to assume that you're a little bit familiar with. Yeah, MBCT. Yeah, booked as we, if you just like to read the
1: acronym. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's kind of more your jam. I,
0: I just pronounce the acronym. MBCT. Uh, so yeah, he created MOBUSR, which then led to Mubuk. <laughs> yeah, uh, so
1: MBSR or
0: MBCT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So John Kabat-Zinn, again, with all his writings and teachings, he's most famous, again, for starting those two institutes and then also creating this program that really relies upon mindfulness. That's used in medical settings like hospitals to help people with chronic pain and that kind of thing
1: And so I I think I think for me listening to you It's valuable to sit and listen and think wow within 50 years this prolific man created something that has such a big national influence now, whereas in the 70s it was non-existent on this side, non-existent on this side of the globe, virtually. Totally. And he did it to where, I think for me, what is really profound is that um, he incorporated like the medical model. And so he created these institutes that would both research and apply what, what he understood from his own practice of mindfulness.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Taking these ancient contemplative practices and then beginning to incorporate them or integrate them into Western science. And also prove them essentially. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's such a good point that you make. There's like in the last couple of decades. So initially mindfulness did not get a lot of steam. It took a while for it to pick up, but really in the last 20 years, it's undergone so many, like countless randomized clinical or randomized controlled trials. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's demonstrated its utility consistently. Um, and something that it's done is it's uh, improved mood, like it has a huge mood boost to it. It's also been shown to reduce stress, to reduce anxiety. Um, and some of the benefits of mindfulness that have also been shown to, to occur in the research are six different self-regulation arenas or domains. Um, the first one is, or maybe five, sorry. So five and six are the same thing almost, right? So you got the self-regulation. Well, five is a little better than six. Five is better than six. I see what you're saying. You're Enneagram here. The five is always less than six. Okay, so benefits of mindfulness, all related to practice of self-regulation. So the first one is attention. Self-regulation of attention self-regulation of attention and when we talk about attention is simply the is actively processing information in our environment Uh uh So being able to regulate that intentionally the next one is self-regulation of sensory awareness Direct focus on some specific sensory aspect of the body Which a lot of times we can go through life and have no idea what's going on with our bod Um, The next one is self-regulation of perceptions So the way I coined this or try to put this into an easily uh, digestible way is just thinking of the lens through which we view the world Mm -hmm. and understanding, are we reactive? Are we receptive? Mm -hmm. So understanding that our perceptions. Next one is self-regulation of thinking, just how we respond to our thoughts. How do we, how can we direct our flow of thought? Do we jump into the deep end with our thoughts? Do we believe everything that crosses the mind's eye? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is self-regulation of performance. And there's been a lot of research that's shown that mindfulness helps athletes. So like in the domain of sport performance and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, people tend to do really well or benefit from it.
1: There, there they are. Those five self-regulatory benefits of mindfulness. Um, I, I think that's so comprehensive because you could break that down, down into like cognition, behavior, emotion, yeah. um, sensory input. Um and being aware of all of those things creates benefits in all those areas. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, mindfulness showing this bump in these different domains people experience subjective uh, you know like levels of happiness are increased Mm -hmm. and what it does is like you're saying is it all kind of comes back to self-regulation
1: yeah for me i think contemporary society does so much to drive us from being connected from the moment and i think that includes like spending time with information that's either past or future oriented or even automating things that we would normally do for ourselves. Mm. And, um, and every bit further we get from being present in that moment, um, I think that's why the rates of depression anxiety continue to increase. Yeah. Our ability to be attuned to what's going on really is relevant to our happiness and well-being. And if we distance ourselves from that, We're gonna have a
0: low uh, state of happiness or well-being. Yeah, exactly I love that you describe some of those different behaviors and things that compensate for us in a sense Mm -hmm. like automating lights and that kind of thing Yeah, I gotta automate my Christmas lights. Yeah,
1: like like for me (laughs) (laughs) I think I've shared this with you before there was this time I was with as with a group of people and we were pulling up to their house and and they're pretty well off and we were pulling in, and um, he pushed the garage door opener for the garage to open. And one of the people we were with was like, oh, you don't have automated garages? Because that other person did. And he's like, oh, you got to get them. They're, they're so great. Like, once you pull up to the garage, it senses your vehicle there and opens the garage. Um, and in my mind I was like how how far do we need to get from our current experience like we're already pushing a button instead of lifting the door open
0: <laughs> and yeah.
1: now and now we need to remove ourselves one step further from pushing the button and what that does is just open up space for our mind to be occupied with something That's totally nice. distal yeah. from that current experience and for me that was like a real practical moment of thinking ah oh, man there is so many ways that we can be accommodated to allow for our thoughts to be elsewhere from where we are.
0: Totally. Yeah, our society is kind of um, structured in a way to, that produces or promotes that mm-hmm. in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, right? Um, you know, Tignahan calls the opposite of mindfulness forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. Maybe Kabazin said that one of, the, one of those readings um, would refer to the opposite of mindfulness as forgetfulness. And that really stood out to me is like, how often do we just go through our lives and have no clue? like Mm -hmm. no sort of like absorption of what's happening now Mm -hmm. that results in any sort of meaningful memory.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's jump in and sum up. You mentioned there, the three components of mindfulness and the nine attitudes. Yeah. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So just like we were saying, there are three components of mindfulness. The first one, I'm just going to list these. The first one is attention. The second component is intention And the third component is attitude. And then, like we were saying earlier, there are nine attitudes. And this is what we're going to be covering in our series. Yeah. So just to list these nine attitudes, the first one is non-judging. Second one is acceptance, patience, the beginner's mind, trust, non-striving, letting go, gratitude, and generosity. Yeah. All-powerful.
1: They culminate into that third component, attitude. And then intention and attention.
0: Correct, yeah. Yeah, so attention is, again, just the process by which we process information in our environment. And then intention, a lot of times, when we speak about it from a mindfulness standpoint, is just like setting our sights. And they're often related to internal values, goals that we hold as well, ways that we want to show up in the world. So just as we move towards kind of closing down this episode, You know, one question that comes to mind is, why mindfulness? And something that Kabat-Zinn says is just essentially to realize that peace and joy are available within us, around us, and they're available right here and right now. Uh, I want to read a quick little paragraph from his book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, if that's all right. Yeah, let's do it. What he says is, Kabat-Zinn says, we tend to be particularly unaware that we are thinking virtually all the time. The incessant stream of thoughts flowing through our minds leaves us very little respite for inner quiet and we leave precious little room for ourselves anyway just to be without having to run around doing things all the time. Our actions are all too frequently driven rather than undertaken in awareness, driven by those perfectly ordinary thoughts and impulses that run through the mind like a coursing river, if not a waterfall. We get caught up in the torrent and it winds up submerging our lives as it carries us to places we may not wish to go may not even realize we are headed for and so kind of just in a nutshell you know when we're talking about what is mindfulness and why mindfulness in a sense it's simply just the art of conscious living and it's a practical way to be more in touch with the fullness of our being through a systematic process of self-observation inquiry and action yeah
1: rather than just responding to the environment and thinking about the past or the future
0: yeah. And so again, you know, I think of like, if you want to be engaged in your life, this is a practice that allows for you to be fully present, to be fully aware of what's going yeah. on. And um, again, the opposite of mindfulness being forgetfulness. Yeah. And I
1: think it's powerful in there. He uses that imagery of like the, uh, the torrent, the river, the stream, mm-hmm. the waterfall, yeah. um, things that are powerful, but also so fluid, um, the image of water. And he, in that quote, he also conveys, like, why not allow ourselves to tap into this? Like, yeah. this is the things that actually drive us into spaces that um, correlate with what we understand to be anxiety, depression, are things we're often driven towards by trying to just go through life and just be on autopilot or just d- take care of what needs to be taken care of. And he's saying, like, no pause allow yourself a little bit of relief and break from this yeah
0: i really like the way you said that you know like just thinking that autopilot just doesn't correlate with meaningfulness you know it just doesn't correlate with like a real satisfactory experience in life yeah um you know in the brand of therapy i practice we use a phrase often that says like let's get out of our head and into our life Mm -hmm. and it kind of speaks that action component of mindfulness and that yeah, this is all action oriented Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. requires that pause you're
1: talking about. Mm -hmm. And for me, it reminds me like of a real practical example. that just came to mind. So for me, um, I like to run as one of the things that I do to get outside. And, uh, I used to be so focused on hitting time splits and intervals and speed and so focused on that. And I'm not sure, but I think that did at times help me tune into the current moment by, Trying to tap into that achievement, but there was some point where um, as I got older (laughs) I had to let go of some of that and um, And I've it's come to mean a different thing and most recently within the last year to year and a half There's actually a place that I run to um, And it has this rock that overlooks this hillside and so I'll pause in the middle of the run and sit and Do a meditation exercise or a focused breathing exercise or a body scan. Yeah, and it really is just incredible how quickly you my heart rate like I, I can watch my heart rate based on a watch and mm. um, it's in insane how quickly I can come out of What I'm trying to do and just allow myself to sit and be present there with with um, just pure acceptance of the moment um, and yeah. I wish I could do it more and I wish I was more skilled at it. So I don't mean to convey the impression that this is something that comes fluidly or easily or that I've mastered. Yeah. Um, but those moments are so calming and comfortable. It helps me get a glimpse into what he's referring to there.
0: Yeah, certainly, you know, and I was thinking just again, if we come back to that word intention and one of the benefits of mindfulness being self-regulation as you were talking about how you can self-regulate your own. Yeah. Yeah. Your own uh, yeah. heart rate <laughs> heart physiology,
1: rest, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for running me through the history of Hinduism and Buddhism. Yes, all in the course of like, what was that, maybe five minutes? A handful of minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're a yeah. true scholar. Again, if if you uh, point anyone toward this podcast for a, a history lesson in either of those, <laughs> uh, that that onus lies on you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Well, why don't you take us out yeah. by shouting us out?
0: No doubt. So hit us up on our website, www.beyondflag.com. Flag spelled? F-L-G. That's right. And then you can always hit us up on Instagram instagram beyond underscore flag feel free to hashtag connection to self connection to others and connection to the environment boomerang or those tiktoks boomerang them tiktoks on the snapchat twitter feed story yeah with your book face and then we can uh always hashtag beyond flag hashtag instagram dan yes and hit up twitter twitter give us a follow because we got ocho <laughs> of them right now <laughs> We need no ever. Necessita más. Necessita más. Hey. All right. loveys Bye.